Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It's November 16th. Um, I'm here with Andy and Tammy. Uh, how are you guys doing? We haven't checked in in a long time. It's been, <laughs> it's been a minute. Standard week in between shows, yeah. Yeah. What's well, a standard week? Andy, I, I, don't know, I don't mean to throw your business out there, but apparently your house is infested with rats. <laughs> <laughs> Not rats. Uh, Poor Andy. Uh, uh, mice, which I guess are pretty common. I've just never had this before, so my wife and I are kind of freaking out. But oh, it's mice? It's not yeah. rats? Yeah. Oh, well, come on. I have my my sympathy for you is cut in half. <laughs> mice are cute. It's fine. Who no, cares? No, it's you know? disgusting and yeah. horrible. I don't know. All these websites, if you Google it, I guess if you get like a private exterminator, their description of the problem is always like, uh, uh, you know, aimed to make you freak out and yeah. buy their services as much as possible. So they're describing all these deadly diseases that they that- carry. And now, oh my god! Yeah. Hey, okay, like I feel like all that stuff has was, is like a is is from like the 18th century, you know? Like <laughs> yeah, no, the, get or like, the 13th century bubonic. Yeah, they get like the bubonic <laughs> yeah. plague, or they yeah. get like uh, scarlet fever, or they yeah, get yeah. all these like sort of ancient, I don't know, like uh, rickets or some of these ancient like diseases that don't exist anymore, really. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they. I'm sorry if they exist. We think we've. Uh, I don't know why I'm preemptively like thinking about myself offending people who have rickets. So are you getting canceled by rickets advocates? Yeah, they're gonna be like, actually, rickets (laughs) is a real problem. So I was like, I don't know what rickets is. I'm sorry, but um, um, I've never heard of anyone actually getting sick from mice or rats in my entire life. I'm 40 years old. Like it's never happened. I've never met a person who was like, yeah, I was really sick last week this rat gave me a disease. I think it's, I think that mice and rats actually don't carry disease because I've never met anyone who's gotten a disease Uh. from it. And I lived in New York city for a long period of time in not great apartments for large periods of that, of that time. So like, I don't know. I I think that's all a myth. I think rats and mice are totally fine, especially mice. Mice are just cute. No, Uh, they're pretty gross. So wrong. Yeah. So what are you going to do about these mice? Are you going to, we just we just went to the hardware store and bought a bunch of stuff to seal the holes, and we're hoping okay. it stops it. Yeah. yeah, you're not going to use these glue traps, right? Like that's horrible. Those are horrible. we are, but they haven't worked. No, we're using everything. Oh, yeah. oh those are no, so inhumane. That's terrible. Wow, I'm very like a Mahayana Buddhist about this stuff. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't like I don't like killing animals. Um, <laughs> Debbie, how are you? Except the ones you eat. Um. <laughs> so, Eddie, uh, in, in, in review. A, I think you're overblowing your rodent infestation, and B, I think you're a bad person. So I have Jay went all the way day. with this. Yeah, he's <laughs> like pro rat. Um, yeah, a very pro rat. <laughs> those some of the best children's books are about from the perspective. I know of, now. Of mice. Now when I'm reading, you know, my daughter's these books, like all of them have mice in them, and I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. getting freaked out. I get like grossed out every time I look at them now. Really, like, uh, like so Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim was like a real attempt to reclaim the rat narrative. <laughs> and then remember those, like, uh, <laughs> there are those books, the 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 uh, Redwall books, which is about yeah, like yeah. mice army. I never. I had this yeah. dream when I was like, I don't mean to free associate this much, but when I was like in, in high school, I had this dream where, and it was, I think it was the only lucid dream I've ever had where I was like the head of the red wall army and I was like fighting these ducks and slaughtering them with this mouse army. It was awesome. It's like one of the best, (laughs) if I had to rank like the three best experiences of my life, that dream was one of the three because it seemed to go on forever. You know, these dreams where you feel like it's a year (laughs) and like the whole time I was like commanding this mouse army. Did you have your same head or were you a mouse as well? No, it's a mouse. (laughs) (laughs) Although that sort of stuff is a little, you know, it's a little hard to remember, but I remember it vividly. And, you know, when I die, I'll think of it. Like a Korean guy in a mouse head. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Korean mouse. (laughs) But but you guys also know that really right wing mouse children's book called If Mm. You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Oh yeah, we have that it's, one. Why is that right? You way? have that one. That was like it's <laughs> made it by canceled? like anti-welfare conservatives yeah. because like the mouse oh. keeps asking for stuff, and so you're supposed to teach your kid that you're not supposed to get stuff. Yeah, that sounds super like it's like horrible. Jay, you have to like ritual burn that now. <laughs> no, I, I'm on the. I, I shouldn't say this, but I'm on the other side of children's books. 
You like random I like all of them books. to I like them to all be problematic. I only want my I only want Frankie to read problematic books. Oh, so she can like be a lit critic? Like she's gonna be like, This is some anti welfare bullshit. Yeah, You're training yeah. her. To, I'm I'm giving her as much ideological diversity as she can young age so that she doesn't turn into like intolerant SJW in college. <laughs> I don't know if this book is the key to that, but we'll see. We've been, we read Tintin almost every day. <laughs> and uh and we watch and Tintin, let me tell you, Tintin is so racist. Yeah. Like, I know that oh they my God, it's horrible. really bad racism, but it's so, like, there's one called, like, the Blue Lotus or something like that that we're reading. <laughs> and Tintin, and the whole thing is, like, Tintin is super racist against Asian people. He's, like, yellow skin. Yeah. Don't trust him. And then oh he, my God. The end, he learns to not be racist. He's, like, oh, only some of you are, you know, <laughs> treacherous. Not all of really? you. Really? That's the point. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then there's all the books in the Congo, right? Oh, that one they canceled. Okay. They took it out. Gotcha. Like the super racist ones they actually Tintin in the Congo? Yeah, they don't sell anymore. Yeah, because it's like Belgian, right? So Yeah, and you have to like go to like eBay. It's like literally uh, the worst. So Jay's bookshelf for Frankie's like Tintin, Sambo, if you give a mouse a cookie. Not that bad. We did read Bavar, you know. Terrible. Is Bavar bad? Why is Bavar bad? It's like in Babar like was canceled too. Yeah, it's like colonialism. Like they oh. they kill these elephants and then they like try and domesticate like the elephant child and dress him in human clothes and have. Oh, that's the story of Babar. Oh. I didn't know yeah. that. I thought it was yeah. a cute little elephant. And then they bring him back, <laughs> and all the elephants like are like, "You're wearing clothes, and you know how to talk." Oh you know, no, white city people, you're now our king. That's yeah. what Babar. Babar is oh, most I fucked up. I've never read it. I'm sure wow. Jungle Book is like that also. That's the horrifying. Real, the real Jungle Book, right? Oh, yeah, the Jungle Book, yeah, for Kipling, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. The movie is borderline, but yeah. um, we've watched that as well. But <laughs> point is, I have a very hard time. Oh we'll, we'll t- we're going to talk about this for exactly 30 more seconds, but I, we, I have a hard – Andy, actually, I want to know your take, so let's make it two minutes. Like, I have a very hard time reading these children's books that are, like, super earnest political, you know, like mm. A is for activists and things like that. I just can't do it. <laughs> I read it and I feel embarrassed. You yeah. know, I'm just like, what's going on? <laughs> Somehow we got Paul's told to all the parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know who gave it to us, but somehow we acquired Chelsea Clinton's. Um, yeah, see, that one would book. kill me. I, I know, exactly. We read it once and then now she asked for it because it's like big and has nice pictures. And like, uh-huh. daddy doesn't like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's let's, let's about, you know, little animals talking to each other and going to the bathroom or something. Yeah, that's way better. It's, <laughs> it's too much. It's like, you, the children, I don't know, my kid's three and a half. I don't think she has any concept of race or anything like that at this point, you know, yeah. which you know, might be me sheltering her from the world. But like, she certainly doesn't know what, asian is or anything like that and so you really it doesn't wow. make any sense to like be like oh you know let's let's do the grace lee boggs book <laughs> children's book is that a thing sorry no. i don't know any of okay you know i should write that i was gonna you say grace lee boggs is like a bunny rabbit and she's do you <laughs> so you don't think about i should get a book that looks like me and her no, like, where, where the characters look like me and her. No, you just see no. like animals and stuff, or just white animal. people. Yeah. Tintin, Tintin's white white. Pe- <laughs> white people and animals. <laughs> we did. Tin- we watch a lot of. Uh, we watch a lot of Totoro. We yeah, watch that a lot. Oh, I like is, Totoro. That's Asian. Bugs Life. We watch a lot, but she mostly watches the Octonauts. There's like a tweet this morning that I that was going around and, you know, I apologize because it's going around a lot of the right wing places, but I, you know, decided <laughs> that it was frequent? bad too. Um, no, I looked it up. <laughs> I looked at the quote tweets of it. It is all like Jonah Goldberg and shit like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, you know, Jonah Goldberg being like the editor of the National Review. And so um, <laughs> but it, it was about this one school district in Washington, right outside Olympia, Washington State. And they had actually taken the step of differentiating white and Asian from students of color, right? And all these sort of right-wing guys are getting, I don't know, I don't know why they're so obsessed with this, except that to show that like identity politics is stupid, yeah. right? Like 
But um, I don't know. What'd you think of this? I thought it was like, I mostly thought it was really funny, but like, I, I don't know. I saw people getting like mad about it. I saw some people being concerned about it. I saw nobody actually defending it, but um, which was strange. But um, <laughs> I don't know. What'd you think? Yeah. Andy, Tell what, what you did think? you think? <laughs> I don't know that I have anything very developed. I mean, we might first thing was to look up the census data from Thurston County. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is like, it's 82% white there. But then, yeah. you know, the public schools are 50% white, you know? So we yeah, see this pattern that? that white flight, <laughs> like, you know, white people have been removing themselves from the public education system for decades, right? So we see this even in places that are majority white, it's bizarre. You know, it's both class and race-based um, self-segregation. But anyway, um, yeah, I kind of had the same reaction, Jay, where I sort of just chuckled. And then I was wondering about what the particular motivations of the school board were in making this decision. Um, they then they later really issued a like a clarification, right, that, you know, where they actually retracted this and apologized based on the outcry. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know. They... It's quite interesting. Did they, they um, apologized? They apologized. Oh, yeah, they they put out a statement and they said, one of our district's strategic plan goals is continuous growth. All students, all subjects. <laughs> one of the outcomes we are working towards in this goal is to, ha is to have an increased growth rate of underperforming groups, um, eliminating achievement and opportunity gaps. For this reason, in one of our online documents from 2019 titled Monitoring Student Growth, we evaluated the achievement data by, quote, students of color and, quote, students of poverty in the document. Uh, we shifted white and we, we, we grouped white and Asian uh, students together. Upon reflection and, uh, and response from members of the Asian American community, we will change how we look at, uh, look at achievement data and appreciate the feedback we received. We apologize for the negative impact we have caused and remove the wow. moderate report from our website. <laughs> I chuckled also at students of poverty because I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> like students of color and students of poverty? Students of, it's just, students yeah. of poverty. Oh my Two goodness. natural properties. Yeah. I don't, exactly. I don't even know where y'all are headed <laughs> with this. Students of poverty makes more sense to me. Yeah. You know, although I feel like the well, wording of it could be. No, the wording is exactly, right? Because right? right? it makes it sound poverty. like you're, yeah, exactly. SOP. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I identify now. Right. Yeah, I'm uh, a student of poverty. I studied it all the time. The, the, I, 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 I found this to be totally natural. And I can't believe that it was the only place that did this because this has basically already happened, right? Yeah. Like white and Asian students are lumped together now and um, what Asian students as a result. And I think as a result, in some places, Asian people are no longer considered people of color, right? Like this is not anything new. Everybody sort of knows that yeah. this is happening. Yeah. I would say before this podcast started, I did, I did not think about this very much, but now that we've talked about it so much, <laughs> I see it everywhere. It's all we <laughs> have yeah. to talk about. Evidence of this everywhere. Um, the, the Asians are not BIPOC or brown and black and brown or of color uh like we yeah. are nominally and i think most people our age would just assume we are but then you think about when people like go the next step and describe what does it mean yeah. to be bipoc or of color is right that there. how it's pronounced bipoc uh -huh. I've, I've heard it pronounced recently <laughs> yeah. okay, i've never heard it pronounced uh that's how i just remembered because i was like okay. so, so surprised yeah. um yeah BIPOC. it's really just it's not you know, this That's goes back terrible. to what like, <laughs> <laughs> I talk. Well, it seems like, okay, so it seems like the, the Academy has invested like a lot of time, right? In terms of like the way <laughs> that, the, and when I'm talking about the Academy, I'm talking about sort of like this bureaucratic layer of like the Academy through schools of education, through like, uh, you know, offices of diversity and inclusion. They've, inclu they've invested a lot of time in creating terminology that almost seems to only exist to exclude Asian people from people of color, right? So black and brown, for example. I remember like my friend was saying black and brown at, at some point, And I asked her, I was like, are Asians black and brown? And she was like, I think so. And I was like, no, we're not. You know, like there's nobody who would connect, convince, yeah. who would like say that East Asians are brown. Was your friend, I, was your I friend think Asian? South, no, my friend is black. But yeah. like, you know, like this where it's like, well, would you consider, um, you know, maybe South Asians, Muslims are brown, but you know, like East Asians aren't, you know, like are, are Cambodians brown? It's like, well, you know, are Filipinos brown? <laughs> like, I have no idea. You so, know? I but think it depends on where you are too, right? And it's so context dependent but yeah i mean i think 
we've talked a lot about how these terms sort of break down and are kind of meaningless, yeah. especially in the abstract. I mean, the thing out of Thurston County, though, that I was curious about what you guys think is like, basically, we... So I, I do I believe that like most public schools like want to achieve like equity, like whatever that means. Right. And that they're very concerned in this case, obviously, that black and Latino students are underperforming. Right. Or, you know, relative to white and Asian students like that is a legitimate anxiety that should be yeah. handled because we're talking about children's lives. Right. But then instead of. I don't know, facing that directly and actually like naming names, there's somehow so much anxiety around that, that you have to put yourself into this tortured position of trying to figure out what students of color is or is not instead of just actually stating things more clearly. And I don't, that's the part where I feel like, Jay, I guess that's what you were saying about like the kind of anxieties of the academy trickling down into public policy. But to me, that is a real travesty because now we have what is probably a very well-intentioned report trying to address like suffering oh, among sure. kids, right? To actually just become like a laughing stock debate around like a caricatural version of critical race theory. So I, my thing is like, how do we get out of this? Because we need to make it so that bureaucrats and policymakers stop feeling like they have to do that and actually just do the work. Yeah. So like, basically they're like, well, we're not going to do this anymore, you know? But like my question is like, is it correct to do this? You know, like it makes well, no sense to throw Asian students uh, like testing and, and academic achievement in this one district where they make up like 5.9% of the population and seem to, you know, because they made this distinction, I just assume that they do well, right? <laughs> like in that, and no, otherwise they would just put yeah, them in the people yeah, of color, sure. you know? Um, it definitely makes sense to actually do this, right? Like it's the right impulse, but you just can't do it. And so yeah. then I just think, Tammy, I'm with you. I'm just like, well, what are we supposed to do about this? Because like, like if they say, well, Asians aren't people of color, then Asians can get mad, I think for good reason, you know? If you put Asian white together, then, um, you know, then people are like, what the fuck? You know, we're not white. If yeah. you like completely disaggregate Asians altogether, maybe that's what they should do. But then why are you lumping the other two together? You know, and like it, it's difficult to lump the other two together or to disaggregate the other two, because then one has to do worse than the other, you know, and then somebody's on the bottom. And so like it doesn't it, it's no longer a critique of white supremacy or whatever. You know, it's just like, well, some people are doing bad. Some people are doing second to bad. Some people are doing third to bad. Some people are doing the best, you know? Yeah. And so, like, I, I don't quite know how you get out of this. I'm with you, Tammy. Like, it well, seems think... like this endless problem that they've created. Yeah, but I guess my my first instinct would just be, well, why then do we need to use the term people of color in this context? Because it seems yeah, yeah. useless. And okay. so, and what what is the particular problem with saying, like, Hey guys, in our district, like we are failing black kids and Latino yeah. kids according to these test scores. And like we need to really fix that. And just saying it plainly like that, then you don't actually have to address this like existential question of what Asians are. It, it just seems and I but there but yeah, is it like white people feel too guilty to say that? That's too impolitic, so they can't actually just say that in a report. Like, I don't understand. I mean, this report. Yeah, I think just, that's what it is. Yeah, based on the okay. apology, it sounds like it was just sort of like an absent-minded. Yeah, maybe some some maybe. some bureaucrat used right. it because we just hear it so often. Mm -hmm. I think that there's like so like I wanted to float this by both of you, and I don't want to commit to it, but you know, I think that there is probably a good. I saw this. I, Matty Glacius tweeted this thing, and it was his usual sort of oblique totally obfuscated type of thing that he thinks is clever. But he was essentially saying, look, Proposition 16 passed really easy or was defeated really easily. And mm -hmm. people should think about that, you know, because it shows that affirmative action is unpopular, right? And that we should think about the fact that it's unpopular. And I think in, just from reading his previous tweets, like I think what he was implying, or maybe this is me projecting, but I think what he was implying essentially was something that I thought was interesting, which is that if we agree that Latinos and Asian Americans don't really like affirmative action policies, which is true, right? Like, because I'm sure both uh, populations voted against Proposition 16. Um, and we believe that both of these populations are increasing in size. I believe both these populations are inclined to be much more aligned towards one one voter issues than other groups, right? Because like, you know, like they haven't been in this country very long, like they don't really understand the political system. They'll they can be influenced by Chinese state media or whatever, right? Um 
is there like a left argument for just abandoning affirmative action and and trying to reallocate a lot of the fight into like improving state schools and improving community colleges and basically saying the elite schools can do whatever they want like we don't care about this anymore is there that argument yeah like like, you know and this would also be based on the critique of affirmative action from the left which is essentially that like it is a way for elite institutions to launder their own prestige and privilege Mm -hmm. right like it's like if we have 10 percent black students at our school then like we don't have we can do whatever we want you know we can let in all the kids of 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 alumni we can like let in donor kids we can create whatever systems of privilege that we want and because we have 10 percent black students at the school nobody can criticize us about it like is it better to just expose let them expose themselves for what they are Mm. i don't know what do you think i i'm not advocating this but I find it a compelling argument. I've been very close to that position for a bit. So I'm very sympathetic to that because yeah, I, we- <laughs> I, I've been more about more interested in class-based affirmative action for some time, kind of seeing these failures. And yeah, Jay, I would agree with you that you, I mean, I, I, I went to private school for college and law school. So, I mean, I'm, I've, 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 definitely benefited from affirmative action and I've definitely benefited from elite education. And, um, but I do, I, I consider myself a champion of public education also, and would like to see more resources allocated that way. My only concern about that is on some level, taking that argument too far abandons the aims of school integration. And I think yeah. so that there's a real tension there. I mean, you could differentiate and say, well, what you say for K through 12 is different from what you can say about higher education because they're structured differently. But if you want to stay consistent ideologically, there is some tension in the class-based only affirmative action. Because class-based affirmative action still uh, has a sort of segregated, not segregated, a sort of hierarchical because education class-based, system. Uh, well, no, because I think class-based affirmative action is agnostic as to the question of racial integration. I mean, I, I believe that because believe, of the way our society... Believe, but we would have to believe because of how class is structured in the United States that... Well, that's what uh, I was going to say, right. yeah. But because of those facts, right, it, it's right. not actually agnostic. But, like, theoretically, it's kind of agnostic. And all yeah. I mean is, like, if you push too far in that direction you and you say, like, it doesn't actually matter to me, like, what the composition of the school looks like racially, yeah. Yeah. you know... Mm-hmm. That could be a problem. I mean, like I care, I do care about K through 12 integration, like facially. I, I I care about that more than I care about it, I guess, in a way in higher ed. Yeah. I think, I think- right now doing like committing ourselves to class-based affirmative action actually gets us a lot of what we want through race-based affirmative action anyway. But in the future, it might change. Yeah. But the problem with that is that like uh, all the right-wing groups want class-based affirmative right. action. Right. That's the other thing. Do they exactly. really? Yeah. And the reason why do they want class-based affirmative action is because it would eliminate arguing that class-based affirmative action works, eliminates the need for any race-based preferences around, not just like in education, but on Generally. total national level. Yeah. And so if they say, well, just let in poor kids, A, it's an extremely sympathetic argument that they're making, right? Because like, you know, let, let's face it, like if most people... If you tell them like, oh, this is like the child of like a Nigerian like investment banker and yeah. he went to Exeter and like, <laughs> Poor you know, Nigerians. And... <laughs> yeah. They're always Nigerians, the example. You get to... <laughs> Nigerians and Ghanaians get the most yeah, for this. Exactly. You know? But like if you're like, all right, well, this is like a Ghanaian, you know, like investment banker. <laughs> that's the other example. And, um, and you know, that's most of the people who are at Harvard, you know, which, you know, I think a lot of the data would show that maybe it's not most, but a large percentage, certainly, you know, larger than it should be. And that should be, but larger than like, you know, like is proportional, right? So like they're overrepresented, I think is the correct word, right? Like, you know, just like Asians are overrepresented at Cal. Um, then people are going to be much less sympathetic towards that. But since the schools don't want to admit that, they just don't talk about it, you know, like they, and this is all stuff that like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, yeah. like, um, uh, a lot of scholars have written about, you know, like black scholars who study this and argue that it's it's also wrong that we have to restore the spirit of affirmative action but i don't know i just tammy i think i'm with you and we can stop talking about this after this but like i just think that the binds that this stuff creates are so absurd at this point right yeah that it leads to these types of outcomes and the outcomes lead to like national like everybody on the right mocking this thing 
nobody on the left can defend it, right? Like that's why nobody defended it because it's like at some point, like what are you really defending? Like if you you're going to sound like an idiot defending it, and then in the end, like the more of these that are produced, I think the more will come out, you know. And then in the end, you have this hyper focus on the achievement gap, which I don't think is the right way to think about this anyway. And then when you hyper focus on the achievement gap. Then you have to lead yourself down the road of all sorts of terrible explanations for this type of thing, you know. So it's either the vague, it's just white supremacy. You're like, I don't know what that means, you know. Oh, it's just uh, because <laughs> Asians are like privileged. It's like I don't think all Asians are privileged, you know. And um, or it's the opposite of it. It's just like, well, one group is smarter and works harder than the other group, you know, and that's life, right? Which is a terrible explanation that that should never have any sort of grounding. But in the end, like you're faced with these two choices, and both choices are totally untenable. Right. So I don't know. I, 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 I know we talk about this a lot on the show, but it's like, I don't like, this was just more hopelessness about it for me. It's just like, we're never going to get out of this shit, you know, I mean, because these people are so powerful, you know, yeah. like people who, who, who come up with this sort of stuff, they run all the school board, not school boards, but you know, like, like they are the thinkers behind like diversity policy and equity policy. And every school now is like, you know, is, is in a lot of ways, ha- these people have gained a lot of power within these groups. Yeah, I mean, I it's might like a lot like, of woke white people, woke white consultant class. Yeah. <laughs> That's Chuck Rook. Also, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll have to think about this more. Obviously, as as my child grows older, but my instinct is not to think too much about like this the the sort of weird logical games that these bureaucrats are doing. I'm in my own head. I'm more interested in like in figuring out like what Asian American, how to explain Asian American, like in for real, I guess, or, or historically speaking, and, and I think. That, that is an interesting question of like, how would you think about Asian Americans in a way that's not just our, our relationship to the black and white, you know, opposition in this country. And I think what's interesting, and, and this might get back at the whole, like, well, why do Asians score so well? It's like, well, if you think about internationally, like Asia itself is sort of like the Asian American of the world, right? Like, like it is situated between the poor and the poorest and the richest countries historically. And, and Asia itself is also sort of in this ambiguous position where people are like, you know, is it a threat or is they like the victims of imperialism and colonialism? And, um, you know, Asia is obviously a big country, but like, let's say like take East Asia, for instance. And so I think East Asia and Asian Americans are kind of facing this sort of similar parallel version of being sort of malleable, uh, but are kind of stuck between the sort of obvious, like number one, you know, like United States, Britain, white people, <laughs> that's number one. And then in the bottom would be like the sort of colonial, colonized, post-colonial you know, poor parts of the world and, and that would be like black and Latino people, uh, Americans, right? And so I think there's a certain, there's a certain thing going on there where that explains why a lot of Americans. Andy, I don't know. I, I don't, mean, yeah, I think I because know. of the stature of China too, this is a very, this is kind of a no, slippery but like, argument. Well, you think but about like, like Japan too. Where a lot of yeah. Asian Americans come from that achieve but, quote unquote but they overachieve, don't think right? about themselves like internationally in that way, do they? What do you they mean? They don't, like if you grow up in like, let's say you grow up in like uh Singapore, for example, or like, let's say you grew up in the Philippines, you know, you don't think like my conception of myself is, you know, based on comparing myself to the Congo and also to England, you know, like, I don't think that people do that. I think, I think think they're just like, Hey, I'm, I'm I'm just a Filipino person. Say what? I think they just think I'm from the Philippines, you know, that's my store. And you know, that's how I get around. I think think everyone around the world thinks about how they are related to the United States. I, I think, think that's, that's true for sure. Right. I just and, don't know. If, anyway, I, I, I hear, I hear what you're on, saying. Right. But I think that also explains why like, there is such a wide variety of the kind of results you get from Asian American immigrants because Asia itself is like all over the place. And it's not simply... There's not really a wide variety at this point now, though. And that's one of the things that makes it difficult, right? Because like, it used to be the Hmong like, population was the one population that you know had high incarceration rates and had a harder time... Um, quickly assimilating into the middle class but now that problem is gone and like Hmong kids do very well in school and you know um like the sort of ascendancy thing like just it just lasted one more generation for them you know and that obviously is because of incredible poverty and you know horrible uh persecution and you know they come over as full refugees um you know with with and but it, it was one generation and now like the Hmong are 
upwardly ascendant as well. So. I, I don't know, but I mean, I feel like these are pretty gross generalizations. Because <laughs> I also want to recognize and respect that there are still refugees coming, and you know, and people's experiences are really different. And like, there's also like a lot of you know Cambodian people who have been incarcerated yeah. and Chinese people yeah, who have been no, incarcerated who are still dealing with stuff. So I don't, but yeah, I mean, I do. I think our kind of language around like immigrant overcoming and like the whole like bootstrapping stuff that we've been talking about, like there is definitely a shift in evolution and like the general Asian American narrative that I think needs to be grappled with. And I think that does lead to this anxiety about like, well, what are we and how yeah. are we going to be in these like, you know, historic categories of race in the U.S.? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> um, the we started with Queen's Gambit. <laughs> the weirdest thing that's happening right now to me in the world is that it seems like, or in America, is that it seems like everybody is still talking about the election. People are still talking about, um, you know, all this culture war stuff. And in the meantime, it seems like the coronavirus is totally out of control. Oh, my God. Right? And like, I am not a coronavirus alarmist. In fact, I would put myself on the side of like, if you put a line in the middle and one side was denier and the other <laughs> side was like full on, like, you know, tinfoil hat type of, you know, like, uh, I'm never leaving this bubble. I'm like shading towards the. I'm not on the denial side, but I'm like, you know, I've like, you know, I've dipped a foot in the, <laughs> the denial in the denial pool, but like not saying that it's not real, but you know, just being like, I think people might be freaking out too much about it. I am no longer anywhere close to there. You know, like the number of cases and it's the so positivity scary. rates spiking around the country, the hospitalization rates, it seems like the, that people are much better treating this now. So it's not as deadly as it was back in the spring. Right. But at the same time, we see all the same patterns happening now that were happening back then. Nursing homes are getting overrun by oh COVID gosh. again. You know, mm -hmm. people are being hauled out again, you know, of uh, like in large numbers out of nursing homes, people are dying. Yeah, some young people are dying as well, you know, which, you know, it's yeah. always gets the most headlines because I don't know, we seem to not care if old people die. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it's certainly true, right? I think it's probably true of every country, not just the United States. But, um, you know, and it seems like there's just mass spikes in basically everywhere places that you wouldn't think there yeah. would be like why does wyoming have a spike i assume that people just like stand on the back of horses outside you know, you know? <laughs> like what are they doing tammy you're in montana how is everybody in montana wyoming north and south dakota have coronavirus right yeah, now like you know what do they right do here. like do they go to like they mm -hmm. all go to like the elks club and like you know smoke, smoke oh a hookah God. together like what 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 is happening i, I apologize to everyone in the mountain time zone <laughs> <laughs> like um, how are they all getting coronavirus it is like, really this? freaky here it's in it's indoor gatherings yeah. it's indoor gatherings know, and, like what indoor no, I, I'm telling you guys, like I went to get pizza down the street and like there was an entire bar full of people with no masks. Oh. But, yeah, because they're drinking beer. So you yeah. can't have a mask. on. And the poor workers are kind of huddled behind the bar trying to bar back. It's just a mess. I don't know. Are they I, wearing masks or the workers yeah. wearing masks? The workers are wearing, okay. wearing masks. Yeah. I mean, I know the rates here in, in Montana are really, really frightening. And I, I grieve for this community and for all of the healthcare workers in these states. But I, I do think it's, you know, you guys saw like the North Dakota thing where um, basically the North Dakota governor refused to put in a mask order. And then also yeah. because they're having hospital worker shortage said, if you are an asymptomatic healthcare worker, but you're positive, you should continue working in hospitals and yeah, the North Dakota that. Nurses they Association. Really? And they, they, they did you know, this in the Bay Area and um, in nursing homes. At the beginning, because there weren't, a, there's not enough staffing because right. all these nursing homes are so, uh, they're run by like, you know, private equity, you know, private equity. And so they short staff all of them on purpose. Yeah. And so then there weren't enough people. And so it leads to this horrible choice that the nursing homes have and that the county health boards of health have, because they're horrifying. the ones that are running the regulations right. for it. It's like, basically, nobody's coming into work. There's no staff the entire staff has COVID or they're afraid of COVID. So they're not going to come in to work to work for like $8 an hour or whatever, $12 an hour. So like, what do you do? Well, you can let all the people in there die because they need constant care. That's why they're in a, a skilled nursing facility or you can, and have nobody there. They all die from neglect, or you can have the people come in if they're asymptomatic and positive. And so in the end they chose, you know, well, you know, one, one outcome leads to them definitely dying. And the other one, yeah. you know, at least we have a chance. Wow. Yeah. They made those choices again and again, and again, they did it in like, uh, 
Contra Costa County, which is like just north of, of Alameda County where Oakland and Berkeley is like they did it in San Mateo County, which uh, uh, Santa Clara County, I'm sorry, which is, you know, like in Silicon Valley, there are all these counties in the Bay Area, so which are supposed to be like one of the best places for coronavirus where they where they're doing that sort of stuff because of yeah. staffing problems. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, well, my I have a I have a point for all this that I want to ask you a question. Just like, do you actually think that Joe Biden is going to do a better job with the coronavirus <laughs> than Donald Trump? <laughs> yeah. Do you think it matters? Okay. Explain why, Andy. Why, I mean, why does it, it be matter? too late. That, that would be the counterpoint. Yeah. It's too late. Well, it's no, out, okay. So let, let's factor in the fact. Let's, let's factor in that it might be too late. Uh, I don't know. He would like promote masks. Uh, he would promote Fauci to actually be able to talk and people with the scientific background to be able to talk. And I don't know, maybe he would actually like find conservative voices and promote them talk to talk to conservative voters about how they believe in the science of it. Um, I don't know. They would also, he would, I don't know. The other thing I was kind of interested in this week is obviously the vaccine and vaccine news. And it seems like Trump is burning bridges with potential vaccine suppliers. So I don't know if Biden would or would not do that, but he seems... You know, if if Trump is like zero, right? Biden has a risk of being greater than zero in terms of like cooperating with more than. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So. Yeah. Like they, I, I phrase that wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's a big But is it going to be significant? Is it going to make a difference? Is it going to make a difference? Tammy Kim, your oh thoughts. Oh, my God. Ah! Um, my God. Okay. Uh, yes, I think it will make a difference because I think he could federally mandate things that Trump was unwilling to do. So not just mass policies, but for instance, like when we're talking, I mean, there's still PPE shortages. It's November. Mm, yeah. You know, so federal allocation of that, you know, we're obviously not going to get to a point of nationalization of distribution and manufacturing, you know, which we should have done a long time ago. But I do think there will be more sort of, um, you know, resource distribution for PPE. I, I do believe he actually is committed to that. My yeah. one worry though is that, and we've talked about this before, that there are two c- components to lockdowns and curfews, which is you have to give people economic resources yeah. to survive, right? And we haven't done that. And so, yeah. and, you know, and I think Trump's lie, but a successful lie was that he did care about people's welfare during lockdown. And so people heard that as like a kind of caring. You know, when he was saying, like, I want the economy to survive or whatever, which is obviously like horrifically, like actually murderous bullshit. But, you know, people heard that their economic grievances were being attended to. I don't know that the Dems will do that successfully. Like, I don't think, I think that they're going to. Do you think that, well, like, I mean, I think they'll try and get this huge stimulus bill. Through, I hope so. But... Yeah. I mean, I think, but, but all I mean is like, I think when Biden is trying to make a kind of scientific plan to address the coronavirus, he also needs to at least rhetorically like meet that need yeah. that people have you know, yeah. and, and push the Democrats to, to try to get the bill through. I mean, I don't, the Senate is such a big question mark. Yeah. Yeah. I think, look, I, there's on the bureaucratic level, everything will get better because the CDC will exist again from day one right. of the Biden administration. It's not that hard to just put those people back in place and yeah. give them the resources to do that sort of stuff. So like, you know, like even the CDC as it's functioning now, like people make fun of it because they're like, oh, well, they changed their website and stuff. It's like the CDC has been going out and trying to help people with their coronavirus responses. Right. So here in California, they've done a lot around nursing homes. You know, they've they've they have best practices that people listen to. Yeah. And like, you know, a, a lot of these places, what they really need is like another person who is an expert to come in and work on a problem. Right. And the CDC has sent some of those people out now, not as much as they would if, you know, Donald Trump wasn't like fucking everything up. But, you know, they have. So like a functioning CDC will make mm-hmm. things better. But I think that like in like the reason why I was curious about it is just because like I've been very confused recently reading about these like, you know, trial balloon appointments to the cabinet and yeah. stuff like that. And like w- reading it, you know, I think that I look, I, I want to be hopeful, but I think like the Senate is a pipe dream. Like Georgia is, yeah. they're not going to win both Georgia seats. Like Georgia. there's no way. Yeah. And so, um, and it seems like Biden really does have a streak in him. Out, you know, there's some things that are very good. For example, like this cancellation of $50,000 of student debt, you know, that he says he's going to do in the first hundred mm-hmm. days. That would be great. You know, like that would be a totally progressive thing that I cannot imagine anyone actually being mad about, you know, like, how are you going to be mad about that if you're a progressive person? But um, like you could say, well, you should eliminate all the debt. And you're just like, 
uh, look, you know, like, this is the best we're going to get. It's pretty good. You know, like people who go to state schools, their student debt usually is not over like too much over $50,000. You know, like it's like if you went to law school, for example, then sure. You know, if you have an MFA or something like that, then sure. But, you know, like, like that's a pretty small group of people. Um, and in the MFA, you know, if you get an MFA and you have a ton of debt, you deserve all that debt. Like, that's I knew my... you were going to say that. <laughs> it's your fault. I don't feel bad for you at all. They should exclude MFA debt. From the from the debt, <laughs> but the um, but the, <laughs> um, the the how like you know like how hopeful are you at the at this point of the Biden administration? Like, do you think it's going to be good? Because I sometimes yeah. find myself despairing and getting mad, and then I'm just like, uh, am I just being like too annoying? You know, online person. <laughs> I don't know, Andy. What do you think? Um, I mean, so earlier Tammy had sent out like a list of the people he's appointing to his foreign policy team. And it just seemed like everyone had worked for the Clinton and Obama administrations. And I think that that seems to be how a lot of this is going to happen. And again, I'm just kind of thinking about this as like this interesting historical experiment. What if you just ran the Obama, Obama administration exactly. back 10 years later or five years later after half the country vociferously rejected it um, and had said like this was failing us? I don't know, like maybe it'll work, but um, I think you're going to have a lot of people who are like still think like, well, fuck this. And, um, you know. Okay, well, like, so like, what's the best case scenario then? For what? Best case scenario is like, bad, like, so here's my thought. It's like the best case scenario that we can hope for is essentially that like, um, he doesn't start any wars, right? Which I think is almost close to zero. He's almost certainly going to start a war, right? <laughs> the second thing is over under point five wars. Where do you have, go like, after that point? <laughs> they save the ACA and um and they, which I don't know if they can, right? But they 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 push for a public option, which they obviously can't do if they he don't. He doesn't have want a to push for a public option. Like he says he wants to that's his that's his guy. compromise yeah. for the yeah. and then the third is that we have like some sort of form of the green new deal right so we rejoin the paris Accord. we have like yeah, a sure. lot of like green right. stuff there's job creation from that and the fourth thing that i think is maybe possible is that um is that uh actually that's about it those three things right <laughs> oh and the student cancellation of debt fifty thousand dollars student cancellation debt like is that the best that we can expect from this administration do you think oh my god like, being totally so reasonable depressing. that all four of those things could happen right like yeah. i mean and the war yeah. the war being a bad thing you know like I think <laughs> maybe, it would be a bad thing um i think of all those things happening the thing that is the least possible is him not starting a war i think he will almost certainly start a war i don't know if he's gonna try and push for, for the public option oh or not uh, is that the best we could expect uh that is grim yeah i was kind of thinking like what if all these like senators and purple states <laughs> supreme court justices all just had accidents and that could really change the direction of history, but other than that, yeah, I think they're pretty constrained. Yeah, Andy is like uh, advocating for I don't know what, but like apparently some sort of purge, <laughs> like, <laughs> like a like, I don't know, like you know, like disciplined punish, like the Republican version. Tammy, what do you, Tammy, what do you like? Is this the best that we can hope for? Do you think? Yeah, that that that's pretty bleak. Hmm. But yeah, I, it, I think it's much would add. you would you be that unhappy if this was like the next four if that happened in the next four years? Oh, oh um okay, so here's like one more happy thing and then like yeah. one extremely bad thing. Like I think one happy thing is he'll be better on slightly better on immigration and labor issues. So, you know, like he said that he supports this pro act, for instance, which is like a thing that will help people organize better. Yeah. Right. And he will most almost certainly try to reinstate DACA, at least. So that yes. you know, it's a and he almost certainly will get rid of the Muslim ban on day one. He will I, get I rid of them. Yeah. So yeah. DACA and the, that can be resolved through executive order. So that's so yeah. those are good things, right? But I think the foreign policy thing is is extremely extremely bad. Like I, I'm I'm very very scared about what's what's happening with that. And okay, explain more. Yeah. So I mean. Andy was citing, you know, that all of the people shortlisted to come into the cabinet for the CIA, the Pentagon, the State Department and defense are all Obama and Clinton people who have supported all of our interventionist wars and policies. Um, 
To me, that's extremely scary because I actually think that (laughs) – so this guy, Andy Bastovich, you know, who's like a former military guy who writes a lot about like restraint and foreign policy and is kind of like a – you know, he's like a conservative guy, but like I agree with him on foreign policy. Like he has made this argument recently that if we look at the 70 million people who voted for Trump – the one thing we actually have in common with them is that they probably believe in like restraint and foreign policy. Like this is the one thing yeah. we can actually organize around and win with these people. And like Biden's not doing that. Yeah. Like to me, that is so horrifying because it is so it's such low lying fruit and it actually addresses so many of the domestic problems we have. And we still aren't even close to that. Like he's running from that. So to me, that is so that that depresses me because I think it's like a signal of like what, the rest could also be, you know, I don't think it's just limited to like a kind of myopic thing in foreign policy. Do you think it's possible to like organize around foreign policy, like uh, around like foreign policy and an electoral campaign though? Yeah, because I think you can quickly pivot from saying like, we need to stop our wars and like, you know, our policies of regime change as foreign policy. And what we're going to do with that $4 trillion a year is this. Yeah. yeah, and that's that, what Sanders started doing, you know. Which well, I think that's what Tulsi so awesome. did. You know. Well, well yeah, wanna, but I don't want to even like, go there. That was Obama. <laughs> but you've described the you've described the Tulsi gathering. I don't need to. Uh, yeah, one that's like surrounded by all this platform. crazy. So like, yeah. I want all of the good stuff without the package of crazy around it. <laughs> I, you know, I honestly think that people are unfair to Tulsi Gabbard. You um, are a Tulsi defender. Tracy. I am not a Tulsi defender. <laughs> no, I'm not a Tulsi defender. I mean, you know, I will say that I think I told the story. I I did like ride in a car with her once and she was like she was nice you know so maybe that influences some of it but um i don't know like you did you did actually you know that was her platform right yeah no her platform was regime more and um you know reallocating the funding and yeah it was good except for like remember that one debate where she was wearing like all white and she looked kind of like this like avenging angel in a pantsuit and she kept saying regime change war she said it like 80 80 times it's so weird because she kept repeating this phrase and you so could tell like, like some some strategist that told her to just repeat it over and over again <laughs> but that was her strategy you know and you know she didn't get that much of the vote right? well okay so more mainstream that was obama's way to argue against hillary in 08 that he didn't vote yeah. for the iraq war and that yeah. was trump's campaign against bush and mm-hmm. uh the rest of the republican uh uh primary people in 16 like so it's actually successfully been successful to run right? against overseas wars and go. between the two parties the democrats are much more a pro-war party at this point uh in terms yeah. of like who won like trump won and he didn't start a war uh you know he like yeah. did that fucked around in iran right but like he didn't uh you know uh and i think he was like true to his word because not because he was smart or honest just because he's not that interested in starting wars um because he could grift other ways. I think I between the two parties, right, <clears throat> there's been a reaction for Republican voters against sort of free market globalization and you know neo- neocon wars. And mm-hmm. the Republican voters have rejected that. And it, to the extent there's going to be a Trump voter in the future, like candidates will try to run on that agenda. Right. Oh, for sure. Reject there's no one. Who, there's no one who's going to argue for like neoconservative, right. you know, like intervention on the right anymore. Right. It's dead. So now the Democrats are the one upholding this, which is really weird. You know, they're the yeah. ones promoting free market globalization and peacekeeping wars overseas. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I don't. You know, it's like why do they think this is going to work? Or how are they going to win back Trump voters this way? I know. Not even we're thinking slowly about converting that. into a, rep- a right-wing podcast here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, I am kind of worried. Our, like Tucker between, first, and then I know between there uh, between like our rejection of a uh, of, of purely race-based <laughs> affirmative action, <laughs> champion championing like Peter Arasandiano. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but you know, like Arakiando, I think is how you do it. But he's the. Uh, He's like the Duke professor who's like the right winger who has been arguing for class-based affirmative action forever, you know, and then now it's being like, well, the Republicans are better for it. What what makes this, what makes us on the left anymore? You know, if we don't think that, that Joe Biden is going to pass any of the health care, you know, like income redistribution stuff. Yeah, you know, might as well just be Republicans. I think that this podcast would become much more popular and have much more listeners. Maybe we have a secret listenership. We'd be, like, we'd, be like the, we'd be like the diamond and silk of, uh, you know, of like Asian 
of Asian Trump. Is. So um, horrible. Oh my god. No, but just to clarify, the Republican Party does love war. The Republican Party is a war machine. The only thing is the Trumpist strain of Republicanism right now is not they don't have an ideology that is anti-war and like pro welfare. They just mm. don't care. So I just that's what Andy was saying. Like I, we should be clear about that because the Republicans are Rove and Bush and yeah. all of the grifters on the military industrial complex. So but do you think like if Tom Cotton know. runs, for example, that he'll run on like basically an isolationist standpoint um, platform? But you can or run you on an isolationist standpoint, to... but still essentially be a warmonger because you are like diverting resources into the war machine. Sure. So I think like all of that can be consistent, actually, you know, so but I but I guess what I'm saying is like, I think the three of us know and like other people who really care about this know that you we could organize around these as as an economic policy for domestic purposes. So hmm. and, you know, and so that is kind of like outside of the party, like just this like thing about if the party actually like paid attention to like what, what could, could sell to normal people. Yeah. You know, this would be a good thing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So um, let's like recap our things that we <laughs> think that like uh, that that Biden could do. Right. Okay. First, he'll rejoin the Paris Accord. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and he will uh, basically try for a public option, at least in public. It seems like the environment I mean, stuff he's going to really try to do. Right. I think that I he's so. basically put out enough you know noise that he's going to do it that he has to at least try to do it um we think he's going to start a war right <laughs> and maintain the ones we already have going <laughs> i you know i don't really like glenn greenwald anymore but that's one tweet he, the the sort of thread that the bit he was doing about how we're gonna have the most diverse war machine ever that was funny i thought yeah. you know like i thought it was funny i laughed at least um and um <laughs> and that's horrible um and that's about it is that it is that what we is that basically our, our big oh, the, hope for the, the immigration stuff the daca yeah. oh yes yeah. so DACA, the muslim ban will end daca will come back and those those are also big deals those stuff right. stuff you the stuff you could do through executive action mm -hmm. is what yeah. was the only thing he can do really right? basically yeah. and so like I, I guess my point is that you know and i want to know what you guys think about this point which is that I think Biden is going to be super annoying, you know, for those of us on the left. Like, he's going to be so annoying because what he loves to do more than anything is make friends with people on the other side of the aisle, right? And so his administration is him going to, is like going to be him playing footsie with like Mitch McConnell, him playing footsie with uh, mm. Josh Hawley, him playing footsie with like, you know, Mansion or whatever, right? And sort of like trying to be the guy who's uniting these people, right? And them just sort of, pulling the football away over and over and over again. I don't think that, I, I guess my thought was just that, well, you can't get too, getting annoyed at him for all that sort of stuff all the time seems like it's a bad use of one's time mm. and energy and that we should give him credit for some of the things that we hope that he will do, which I think he will do. And like, that's basically, I think the only way to really think about it because like, you can't change the guy. He's not going to like, you know, suddenly yeah. like go to war with Mitch McConnell, you know? He's not going to, like, have Ilhan Omar and AOC, like, you know, like, be his, like, confidants in the, in the Congress, you know? Like, he's going to try his best to, like, be a type of Obama figure, and despite the fact that Obama more or less failed at all of this, you know, in his second term. And, um, you know, we should just be like, well, maybe he'll do three things. Like, that's how but I'm then why did we? But then why did we vote for him? I mean, oh. obviously he's worse. Because Trump was going to be worse. Sure, yeah. but... The whole line for the left in participating in democratic politics is to say this under democratic presidents, we have a better chance of organizing for what we want. Mm -hmm. But if we just say, oh, we're happy with these three things, then that's that goes out the window. I, I would say we should be annoyed. No, I know. I, yeah. I I think you're right, but I think my approach is much more practical. I, think, I mean, I think what Jay is kind of saying. <laughs> gotcha. I mean, we can do both. I mean, yeah. some days we can just be. Yeah, you know. you're right. You're right. But I'm like, mine is like, you know, I'm going to outlive you by several years. You know, I'm, I would have no wrinkles on my face at the end of the thing. Oh my God. Yeah. I, mean, I, would be, I would look like a baby. <laughs> Like, well, well, you seem to have not aged. Well, look, I was just, I didn't expect anything out of Biden. We got two and a half things. I was hoping for three. I'm just not going to sweat it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like Biden being a disappointment is a given. And then yeah. you can organize at the local level or do other things around it uh, in the meantime. But like, you're not going to change the presidency. So you don't, you know, don't sweat sure, that. Sure, but... Um, yeah. I mean, I'm like, you know, just looking towards 2022 at this point. And, really? And so on and so forth. 2022? Oh. Midterms. Yeah. Like maybe, Midterms. you know... I don't. I don't really. I'm not. Closely, I'm not. I don't. I'm, that. I'm taking a year off of electoral <laughs> politics. I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm gonna walk around Berkeley. I met my neighbors today. They're very nice. You know, they're like in their seventies, and I'm gonna just plan the revolution with them. And you're like Dave. David. <laughs> do they let's go do to the, the Avakian bookshop too? <laughs> but, hey, let's do that. Let's do the revolution. You know, it's too much, too much electoral politics. We can't do this anymore. You know, like we're going to lose all the time. Um, yeah. Um, all right. So last thing that we were going to do is uh, Tammy's. Uh, what do we call it now? We call Tammy's thing. Know. You need to know corner. Sure. We have no sponsors for it. Shockingly. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> but Tammy, uh, what so what is your what's your what what's your thing that everyone should know? So on Sunday, fifteen countries signed this huge free trade deal called the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership (RCEP). Is that how you guys are saying it? RCEP. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. this is RCAP. basically part of this long journey away from the WTO and towards bilateral and trilateral and multilateral free trade agreements and. You all probably remember that under Obama, we got into this mess called the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And then yeah. under Trump, he left it, which I actually agreed with. And then, um, <laughs> Tammy, oh my God, we're like terrible Trumpist politics. Tammy, I disavow, Andy, we have to disavow Tammy. I'm going to, I'm going to proactively oh disavow so Tammy horrible. before she shows up on Fox News, uh, on Tucker Carlson, you know, talking about the hard work ethic of, of the Korean people. Finally, you I know? can make some money. Damn. I know. If you if you if you go right wing, Tammy, I'm gonna become your manager. All right. Because like I feel like we can make a lot of money together. And I don't I don't want your like idealism to get in the way. If we're gonna commit to you becoming a right wing grifter, we're gonna go the whole way. You know, like we're not gonna we're not gonna half ass it. You're not gonna be like you're not gonna be like Andrea Nagel and try to like recover some sort of like uh you know um, like you're not gonna be like boo but i'm actually on the left like we're you're, we're gonna torch everything you're gonna write a long essay about like all the things that you realize that were lies on the left you know we're gonna be super racist against every other race you know except white people <laughs> so come on. we're gonna go the whole way i get five percent you get 95 percent. okay well go on all right you were saying about oh how you agree with donald right. trump yeah that was frightening okay and then basically everybody so the the original purpose of the TPP was basically to organize everybody around China, <laughs> but not include China so that the U.S. could complete Obama's pivot to Asia, right? Mm. And then backed out. And then the remaining countries did like renegotiated, took out actually a couple of the worst parts of the TPP, which was good, and then came on this thing called the CPTPP. Anyway, so if you read the U.S. the world in terms of like hegemonic politics, basically RCEP which is essentially spearheaded by the ASEAN nations, but includes five additional countries, including China, mm. is kind of like the Chinese counterweight to the CPTPP, right? So the thing about this is like this deal, it's huge. It takes in 15 countries. So the ASEAN 10 plus like Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, Japan, and China. And it's 30% of the world's economy and 30% yeah. of the world's population covered by this, right? So it's huge. And I think we should be concerned about this because it's very bad for workers' rights. It's very, very bad for the environment. In fact, like climate change isn't even mentioned in the text of it. And mm. it just continues this tradition of basically hoodwinking the public because none of the text of it was even available to normal people until it was over. Yeah. So I'm I mean, really it's not concerned about legible this. to anybody totally. who follows the news. That's why we have Tammy's things you need to know corner <laughs> That's what but seriously have. like it seems like a huge deal that nobody pays it's any attention really to. huge and mm -hmm. actually to india's credit the indian people rose up against this deal and india was forced to back out like oh. even under modi so to do how that, did they know about it amazing. do they have like do they have more interest in like international trade deals than americans do <laughs> I wish that was americans are like americans are like screaming about cancel culture for the 19th straight week and you know um and 
and Indians are organizing for class solidarity. What percentage of of Americans do you think actually know about like about this thing? Or less than than one percent? Would the Indians be rallying against their overlord China? That would that would that would be my instinct. Yeah, I think that's probably. I mean, I'm sure that was like a pro labor thing. Well, I don't know if it's pro labor, but. I mean, it depends on what you mean by pro-labor because what they understood would happen is a NAFTA-like effect into their market. Mm. What does that mean? Meaning that basically it would allow like agricultural and manufacturing companies to come in and wipe out. Right. But like, so is that a labor right thing? I don't know how you want to characterize it, but I think it is to their credit that they identified that and were concerned about that because that's real. Like this is going to deal that will benefit China, Japan, and South Korea for the most part. What what happened mm. to the C? I've, I've actually uh, embarrassingly had never heard of the CPTPP. What has what is the status of that? So it's active, and actually Biden will probably re- like try to make us rejoin it. And it's just the TPP. It's base. It's just the TPP basically again, oh. but. They did take out the worst part about the C- the TPP, which I hated, which was, this is really technical, but it's called investor state dispute mechanism. Mm-hmm. And basically what that allowed for was for corporations to be on the same level as states. Like basically a corporation like Apple could say like, hey, yeah, Australia, yeah. you're not paying, playing fair, right? And, and like overrule state sovereign- sovereignty. So anyway, but. I guess I bring this up because I think like it's another part really of like our foreign policy and our economic agenda that we should be looking out for, you know, and we should be thinking about like how we want the world yeah. to line up. Like there has to be a better vision for the left out outside of these free trade agreements. It's so strange. Do you think that like, you know, it, it occurs to me that we've basically had four years where nobody cares about any of this stuff, you know? Because everything is Trump alarmism all the time, right? Yeah. And like, is the country going to fall into fascism? And do you think that the Biden administration is going to be kind of boring in the way that old presidential stuff is bo- was boring? You know, like they're like, well, he's talking about entering a free trade deal, and everyone's, you know, like, like, yeah. like there's like like thirteen percent of like wonks on and think tank people and like columnists are screaming about it, and like all of you know the FT is puts it on their front page and everyone else is like, yeah, I just kind of know. <laughs> no, <not. laughs> yeah. um, sure. You know, because before it's been totally wiped out in the last four years, these types of conversations, yeah. you know, about like trade international uh, foreign policy in general, you know, because, um, and, uh, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if, we, if it's possible to put the genie back in the bottle on that sort of thing, like, is are people ever going to care about this sort of stuff, or is it just going to be culture war stuff from here on out? I mean, if the U.S. joins this, is that a th- that is that a thing Biden could do by himself, or that also needs a Senate vote and do enough? Like, that might be bi- that, that might be bipartisan. Like the Republicans, I think might it be will be. Yeah. yeah, it mm. needs congressional approval, but there's no reason to think the parties would disagree yeah. on it. The thing I had read yeah. was something like the terms of the RCEP or whatever it's called in and of themselves are not that big a deal. They're more or less just formalizing what was already there. What's interesting, of course, is that this organization now exists. There's like a framework for like, because China was always going to be excluded from the TPP. Now China's part of it right? in, in right. a way that's formal. And maybe in the future, they could build upon this and have more deals. And um, I mean, was it spearheaded by China or by the Southeast Asian governments? It sounds like, the in the in the in the long run, if you're kind of keeping score, it's like, well, the TPP was America's way to exclude mm-hmm. China. Now China has won, quote unquote, while Trump, you know, was at the helm. Yeah, like like is that a way to interpret it? And now the Pacific is just belongs to China. Yeah, so I was reading around, like I think that's like a a sinocentric way to read it, which I think is appropriate, <laughs> right? Because we're talking about the two global superpowers. But I think there's an alternative way, which is to read it as spearheaded by ASEAN. The Southeast Asian nations understanding themselves as like a manufacturing center of the world. And mm-hmm. even though I think like this has, yeah, of course, there's like symbolic value to like fight back against the U.S. sphere, essentially, right? Yeah. Or to have overlapping spheres where like the nations in between have a choice kind of. Yeah. I think also like there will be an effect because it does, I mean, it radi- it basically wipes out all tariffs for all of those nations inside of the pact, so that's much better and bigger for corporations than having like trilateral deals, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So I don't know. It, it really, I think it scares me and I do hope that we can try to organize around stuff like this in the future. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I guess I'm pessimistic about it too. Well, yeah. I mean, the United States is so, so. It just seems so yeah. far from where yeah. we are now, you know? I don't know. I, totally. I sometimes, we'll just end on this. It's just like, I know that I worry that like the internationalist angle and a lot of things or the internationalist argument has become such an afterthought, you know, and that it's really just sort of what hardcore Marxists say <laughs> who have read a lot of Marx and who are like basically professors, you know, they're like, and they're internationalist part. I don't know if any of the young left really thinks that way, you know, and it's hard to imagine that they do, but you know, that doesn't mean that they can't in the future. It just means I think we have to be realistic and say they don't really think about it that much now. Right. Oh man, I think yeah, I don't know. <laughs> who knows? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, Andy, your interview with the with Brooke wasn't like that, right? I mean, yeah, I, I get the sense. I feel like there a lot of these things are basically dominated by people our age and above, who and there's we take up all the oxygen. But I think the what's going to be the new way of thinking in 10 or 20 years is already starting, of course, among teenagers, the youth in early 20-somethings, and they might think about the world differently than we do. And um, I think those generational breaks are going to happen. And like, oh, wait, this is like being a big, being, being a big factor, which, you know, we were kind of already too old to be like, generate, to be like, you know, like we were already adults when that happened. But I think for my my impression, just kind of talking to my students of various ages, including like graduate students, is that 08 was, or the aftermath of 08 was this huge factor that might be, you know, we're not mm-hmm. going to probably see the, have, have a full understanding of the way it impacted Americans thinking about the world for several more decades. Um, so the, I mean, the hope is obviously we can, we can channel in good directions. We've, we've obviously seen how it can be channeled in bad directions as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thankfully, at least part of that is over. Okay. Um, thank you for listening to our show. Uh, we do this every week, and it comes out on Tuesday. If you want to reach us, our email is time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at TTSG pod. Um, Andy's house is being infested by rodents right now so if you would like to give him condolences his email his uh his twitter is uh, i don't know what is it andy b lou or something at andy lou although you might want to cut this i'm actually off twitter right now oh yeah oh okay andy's off twitter (laughs) if you'd like to if you'd like to email your condolences to andy you can email it to time to say goodbye pod at (laughs) gmail.com if you if you are part of uh animal rights activist groups and you want to convince andy to stop slaughtering these cute animals and you can also write him at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com we get all of your emails we respond to a lot of them i think our turnaround time is much better now and we appreciate them so keep them coming they in fact are the reason why we keep doing the show at least from my perspective because you know we're not getting paid anything to do it but (laughs) having thoughtful responses from you guys is wonderful you know and we feel like we have a real community here now with the show and that's what I think. I don't know. I don't think we really had any thoughts when we thought when we started this, but it certainly has become the most gratifying part of the show. Do you agree? Yeah. yeah. They can't. The listener yeah. responses, yeah. yeah. Listener responses are great, and we, you know, I, it's made me, Andy, and Tammy feel like there are many more people like us out there who think the way that we do. And you know, it's like, uh, and uh, that's very gratifying. So thank you for that. Um, and. Um, all right, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> okay. Um, 